Hey guys, and welcome to our episode on biomimicry. I'm Majid Al-Qasimi. And I'm Abdurrahman Al-Zahabi. And this is Naturally Educated. So before we get started, I know we say this every episode, but we'd really like you guys to get in touch with us and tell us more about your stories. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And as always, it is Environment Abu Dhabi. So please give us a like. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, hit the subscribe and follow us into the other episodes. So Abdurrahman, today we're talking about biomimicry. Do you know what that means? I roughly do. It's kind of following nature in some way. So let's pull the word apart. You know what bio means, right? Yes. It means nature. And mimicry is? Like mimicking, copying. Exactly. And so biomimicry really just means copying nature, copying life. Mm. Now, what's really interesting about the concept of biomimicry is that there are so many things we can draw from the natural world. And those things that we draw are actually solutions for our modern day problems. So I wondered if you know of maybe something of biomimicry that has sort of impacted your life, maybe? I guess, you know, when I was a kid, we heard about uh, like historically some historical figures that try to mimic birds into flying. And that was such a fascinating experience. And that always made me think as to how planes get off the ground and go high up the sky and stay up there. You know, why don't they fall (laughs) right away? Um, And and it turns out that's actually a concept of biomimicry. Uh, A lot of these engineers that developed planes from the beginning kind of watched birds and saw how they take off from the ground. And that inspired, I guess, the first aircraft. Yep. And I think what's crazy about this is how inspiring nature can be when it comes to going beyond our means, right? Going beyond what we can do. To think that one person looked up at a bird and thought, not only I wish I could fly, but I'm going to figure out how to do this. That's really, for me, something inspiring about nature. And I think there are many more examples that we can learn about. Mm -hmm. Today, we will have a guest on where we're going to hear plenty of cool examples about that. But I think one thing that's important here is when we talk about biomimicry, that we also understand that biomimicry is one of the many reasons nature is very important to not only conserve and protect, Mm. but really to study. So with scientists and many entrepreneurs around the world, nature has always been providing solutions. And I think today we're going to hear about some very interesting solutions from nature that help us solve human design challenges. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I mean, um, when you said, you know, like how, how nature basically solves these problems and comes up with solutions, I always think of this like the natural cycle of things mm-hmm. uh, and how how nature kind of brings life from life yep that whole thing of creating uh, a system uh, that is circular in a way mm-hmm. um to me that's the most fascinating design aspect of of biomimicry but yeah go ahead and i think for for me having been uh, trained as a veterinarian and seeing many of these examples it always catches me when i see either something mechanical or something in our sort of synthetic world that looks animalistic or has taken inspiration. Everything from, and I don't know if you've seen these boats that look like fish or like a shark, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there are these people like diving through the, the water. <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies as biomimicry, but it definitely... Possibly. One thing I will say, 
if we can and do take all of these solutions from nature, it really behooves us to make sure that we protect it and we also make sure we look harder. True. If something that came to mind just now is you do know that there are buildings and structures that are inspired by nature and by you know plants mm-hmm. or other natural structures in the world. So I think we're going to have a really good time looking at this. Absolutely. For me, biomimicry is something I've always enjoyed. Um, our guest today is Dana Adda'an, and she's a biomimicry enthusiast. She's an environmental ambassador at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. And she's also going to be sharing some examples with us today. You know, uh, I've been also reading about another example uh, regarding the modern turbine blades. Mm -hmm. So blades in a turbine, regardless what the turbine is exactly, sometimes they come with a straight edge. Mm -hmm. But in other situations, there's a case that has used biomimicry and they got inspired by looking at whales. Oh, whoa. What? So specifically the humpback whales, if you look at pictures of whales, their fins right at the very top of it, where the water hits the fins first, there are bumps or irregularities Mm -hmm. called pectorals. And these help increase the efficiency of the whale, I guess, going through the water. So how they use that in, for example, wind turbines that generates energy and electricity, Mm -hmm. they found that that increases their efficiency. So if you have the the speed of the wind going through the turbines, if you have blades that don't have this biomimicry aspect, they generate as much power as smaller fins that say that has those. I know I know that that also plays a role in the in the noise they make. So typically turbines can be very loud, but with these pectorals I've read also that they 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 reduce friction with the air. And that's ultimately I think I've been fortunate enough to see humpback whales in the wild Mm. and yeah to think something that big moving through the water effortlessly um is kind of crazy i'm going to be looking forward to this conversation with with our guest donna because i really wanted to sort of like give our listeners a little bit of context when we're talking about biomimicry there are essentially sort of three types you can talk about copying form so essentially you're copying the shape of what's happening You can copy process, so what nature is doing, and then something like photosynthesis and leaf. Mm. And then you can also mimic what's happening at an ecosystem level. Mm. And there's actually some examples in nature where we study a whole ecosystem to do the exact same thing. But the, the takeaway from this with biomimicry is ultimately this is serving us in multiple ways. There's something at least that I relate to very strongly, which is biomimicry allows us to be more empathetic and interconnected with the natural world. It's really us understanding how the world works and in there lie solutions for our own problems. True, true, true. Typically, if we're not mimicking a physical solution, there are strategies used by different species. And and there's a really interesting sort of perspective where if you're looking at say a fossil, you're looking at something that maybe has not had an effective strategy or has not survived the changing of times. And so when you look into the natural world and maybe how certain species have evolved with different pressures from the environment, we can reflect on that. And there's a way for us 
to take some of nature's wisdom and be able to implement that in our own lives. That's wonderful. Right? Yes, yes. And, you know, I just had a thought regarding uh, the type of mimicry that is copying a process. And I wonder if solar panels take their idea from, from oh right, for, for the photosynthesis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What we have in photosynthesis is a chemical reaction to photons and light. And what we have in solar cells is a closing of a circuit through photons and light. So yeah, absolutely. And it and it, you know, it's one step further when you have these tree-shaped solar cells that you find in certain yeah. parts, right? <laughs> Taking it to the next level, yeah. To the next level. So there is another thing that I think is really important to take from biomimicry, which is nature doesn't have any waste, right? Nature doesn't waste anything. Now, we as human beings, we're pretty good at waste. I think we <laughs> invented the word too. So the idea is... How can we look to nature to create processes, functions, objects that reduce waste, right? The idea that we minimize waste and that we have more, what I want to call this sort of living in harmony or living at least in, in sort of balance with nature. When we're talking about sustainability, I think if you're going to learn and draw ideas and solutions, you're going to definitely reflect on nature. And ultimately, yeah. we'll find solutions faster. Absolutely. So biomimicry is is kind of, you're looking at a whole library and archive of R&D that was done for us. Mm -hmm. That was done well before we asked for it. And I think you can look at a lot of different species that have been doing their own R&D, if you will, for millennia that really give us groundbreaking ideas. For me, the, the big takeaway is the fact that we can fly, that we can move underwater for days at a time, whether it's submarines or whether it's through airplanes. I can't believe we didn't come up with these ideas without nature, <laughs> right? And I'm sure if we dig deep enough, you're going to find somebody who's, who's drawing uh, you know, some reference for that. Now that I think about it, sonar. Oh, I'm sure sonar is like reference to bats with whales, whales or whale, uh, or bats. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking in the water, but you could very well be talking about bats. So really the sort of big takeaway from, from this, but I think something I looked up and I thought was very interesting was the three essential elements of biomimicry. Did you find that as well? I think I heard about that, yeah. Uh, isn't it something about emulating nature or copying the ethos or, or something like that, yeah? Yeah, so emulate is the scientific research-based practice, right? We're trying to really physically copy what's happening and replicate. Mm -hmm. The ethos from the Latin, the ph philosophy of understanding how life works. So you're you're consciously thinking about how is this conducive to life as opposed to sort of just a, a sort of carbon copy. And ultimately, I think what always sort of resonates with me is that reconnecting. You're reconnecting with earth. You're reconnecting with nature. And I think it's always important, especially as we live in more urbanized environments, to reconnect with the earth and the natural world and their strategies. 
Likewise. And I think um, it's funny that last bit about reconnecting because oftentimes we feel that we are disconnected from nature and the world around us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That's why you see a lot of people um, promoting, let's say, meditation or different methods uh, of going out in nature. That's so true. That's why people, especially when Corona happened and people start going into nature and hiking and just get away from the noise of the modern world, you know? I, I do that a lot. And a little tidbit before we move on. There's actually been research that has shown that people that are recovering from surgery between people in a room without a view to the natural world and people that have a window looking at a tree, that second group heals 50% faster than the first group. Incredible. And there's also a natural reaction where if you look at a tree and you're in nature, you start to breathe more deeply. (laughs) But anyway, we're getting sidetracked. I think it's time we got to Donna. Let's have a chat with our guest. Yes, let's do it. Let's hear a bit more from Dana. Our guest today is Dana Abun. Dana is a plant specialist and a flora macro photographer, and she's attained a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science and Sustainability at Zaid University. Welcome to the show, Dana. Hello. Happy to be here. Hello, Dana. All right. So we're going to get right into it. I wanted to know if you could maybe explain to us from your perspective, what biomimicry is. Okay, so biomimicry is essentially looking at nature as a recipe book or the blueprints to solve human problems. One of the key examples that I use when I'm trying to define biomimicry is that, uh, let me try to see if I can put it in a form of story. There was a group of engineers and they were designing a train and they were thinking to themselves, How can we make this train more efficient? And as they were like looking into nature or the environment, they saw the kingfisher bird. And the main ability that attracted them to the kingfisher bird is that it's able to penetrate the surface of the water without disturbing it. So they decided to uh, apply this to their train and applied this design by um, using the long beak of the kingfisher and adding it to the front of the train. And by doing that, they were able to create a high-speed train that didn't make a lot of sound when it uh, moved. And if I say the name, I think you might know it. It's the Japanese high-speed trains and they travel over 300 kilometers per hour. Can you imagine? No, no, that's that. I love the fact that that the kingfisher was the inspiration for that. And that's where Mm -hmm. the solution, as we have kingfisher birds here in the UAE as well. So that is an association I will never forget. And I love the way you told it as a as a story. Yeah, I think this is one of the stories that uh, that is really brilliant. And I always want to relate to, um, you know, when it comes to the natural environment, stories that impact our urban design or technology and so on. And frankly, the inspiration comes from all over. One of the inspirations that is shared a lot is the turbine design. Uh, Dana, I think you're familiar with how some of the whales' fins help design turbines. And to me, that's that's super interesting. Exactly. Uh, Biomimicry, what I like about it is that it can be applied in any field or career you're in. It can be uh, fashion, sanitation, construction, um, energy, for example. You can still apply it. Let me give you another example. In Zimbabwe, there's the East Gate building and what they designed with their building is they have an internal climate control system 
that's inspired by the structure of termite mounds. Oh, wow. And after they designed this building, it uses 90% less energy for ventilation than conventional buildings in its size. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know how much money did the building owners save? Like, can you give me an estimate? Oh, uh, for ventilation and cooling, that's going to be a lot. Yeah. For air conditioning costs. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say like half a million ah. dollars. I don't know. It's like throwing it out there. I have like no reference here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Way out there. I'll, I'll go two million. What? Actually, it's uh, $3.5 million saved in air conditioning costs. That's amazing. This is an annual cost. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Um, well, listen, one of the things that I think is super interesting is how basically biomimicry can be used as a great technique to combat all of these urbanization and modernization problems. And this is probably one of the, the, the great examples. I also know the late designer or architect Zaha Hadid used a lot of reference from natural materials, plants, etc. But what about what about sort of things that are not physical, but maybe systemic? Do you have any examples there where we're taking not so much a shape or a structure, but the way things are done in nature that maybe help us, you know, solve problems? Like the question that always comes to mind is, what would Mother Nature do? Exactly. The question uh, about biomimicry is, can we create a solution that functions like nature? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, because the solution will always be a sustainable and maintainable solution. For example, there was a group of people that were thinking of creating an energy harvester uh, from inspired by aspen leaves. The reason and the science behind it is because uh, the aspen leaves can tremble even with the slightest of breeze. So maybe they can create a product or something that can harness uh, the wind to make energy. Uh, Right now, what I've read so far, it's kind of a little bit inefficient, but hopefully I believe that if they keep developing it further, the efficiency rate might increase. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's that's the key here is maybe to emulate and uh, follow nature more. And I guess to go along with that thought, I suppose, how do we encourage a bit more of this concept uh, as in like, how do we encourage, uh, I don't know, uh, policymakers or designers and so on to approach problems following biomimicry to answer, come up with solutions basically to these problems? First step, in my opinion, uh, is to get into nature uh, first and foremost, because when you connect with nature, when you're outside in that environment, you're able to observe, look at these natural uh, systems, organisms, and then uh, reflect on problems that you're facing. Then you might start to realize you can apply or emulate this uh, nature solution to the problem you are facing. So try to go on long walks, cycle in your neighborhood. I like that a lot. It might seem simple, but it might actually be a moment of realization or eureka moment for you. And <laughs> you might create something that helps humanity. Yeah, I guess just like the... Just like the Japanese engineers, maybe we should all become bird watchers uh, or, I don't know, lizard watchers here in in the UAE. (laughs) Yes, we might. (laughs) Well, listen, I want to circle back. Where where does this term biomimicry actually come from? So um, 
biomimicry is has been there for a long time but uh, Janine Benyus is a biologist and author who really made this term popular. She even uh, wrote a book uh, called Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature. If you want to learn more about biomimicry, maybe give it a read. Hopefully I'll read it soon because I like to keep uh, updating my knowledge even though I know a lot about biomimicry already. It's good to keep an updated knowledge of what's happening. Yeah, isn't that the case? Uh, everybody's learning from so many different sources. And then sometimes there's that one book that essentially has the foundation of that knowledge. And you're you're looking for that one point to stop and, and read. Well, listen, is all biomimicry the same or, or are there different types of biomimicry? I, I've seen some reading about that. So is there a sort of like a breakdown or detail of it? Uh, there is, but uh, before I dive into that, there's a lot of hyphenated words that have the word bio in it. And I just wanted to um, speak in a moment about it. Yeah, please do. So biomimicry, I want you to guys to remember it's functions like nature. But there's also bio-utilization, oh. which means uses nature. For example, we're cutting down the tree, we're using the wood to make paper. Right? We're utilizing nature. Mm -hmm. Another thing is biomorphism, mm. which looks like nature. For example, an uh, interior designer might be designing an office and they're like adding uh, fake trees or, or like from concrete within the rooms in itself, just because maybe it's aesthetically appealing, mm -hmm. just to bring those natural scenery inside, make it a calming, nice, uh, productive place to work in. So it looks like nature. So all the plastic orchids that I have in the living room, those are biomorphism and not biomimicry. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. But uh, why don't you invest in like a real uh, orchid? They're easy <laughs> no, to maintain. <laughs> Being called out. No, no, Donna, actually, we do have real orchids, but those were the few orchids that we got in the beginning. We do have some beautiful orchids now that we take care of. So, yeah, I just feel bad about throwing plastic away. Uh, <laughs> can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Well, from where do you get the soil for your orchids? Because I I think it's really hard to find that type of soil. So the truth is, we don't do anything with the soil. That We get them as they are, mm -hmm. and we just put an ice cube once a week on the, the root stem, and that melts and drips into the orchid, and that's the only watering we do for them. Okay. And they've bloomed again and again and again. That's a nice trick, Alki. I'll keep it in mind. Old trick, old trick from oh, my grandmother. Okay, yeah, yeah, nice. that's pretty cool, actually. So, um, just to build on that uh, biomorphism uh, idea, I wonder, Dan, if you have a favorite example by any chance, or some some example that you refer to. <laughs> biomimicry. I have another example of biomimicry that I could speak of. It's about the uh, lotus plant, the structure of the leaf. It has like some curves and bumps. And the science of it in nature, like the cleaner the leaf, uh, the ability of it to make uh, photosynthesis is higher. So what happens is uh, like if a droplet uh, falls into the leaf of the lotus, it just like falls off. It's uh, basically water repellent. And can you guys give me any guesses of what kind of products industries might create from a water repellent. Sort of biomimically, like Gore-Tex, <laughs> sort of like fabrics for, for jackets and, and... Exactly. Yeah. 
and glass paints mm-hmm. so like uh, companies can like market it as self-cleaning nice. then whatever glass textiles ah, paints that's that yeah because like if you uh, drop uh water in the um let's say a, a drop of water in the leaf of the lotus plant mm-hmm. it not only like skids off it um mm-hmm. collects the dust particles contained within it oh like, wow so it, it's it, it it's sort of is it self-cleaning in the sense that water then takes whatever dust is there and you're left with a clean leaf interesting exactly that's very cool speaking of clean things i have a really cool example that i want to talk about mm. um go for it so shark skin it has evolved uh, that no bacteria or algae can grow in it. And yeah. when they took a closer look into why this is happening, uh, subhanAllah um, the pattern, the pattern of the dermal skin of the shark is the reason why no bacteria or algae can grow in it. So, yeah, exactly. So like a group of people, same story again. Uh, they studied the pattern, mm. um, they applied it, and they like tested it out, did an experiment with no pattern, with pattern, and with the pattern, the amount of bacteria didn't grow like as much, like it's minute compared to like without the pattern. It had a natural resistance. I do remember seeing this somewhere online, and it struck me as well that there's another example um, have you ever heard about how engineers are trying to study spider silk? Yes. From spider web to yes, be able yes, to yes. create high tensile materials because mm-hmm. from a weight to size ratio, mm. like spider web is one of the strongest, most capable materials to deal with high speed tension and, and a bunch of other stuff. But I, I think we've talked about a lot of examples. Um, what I wanted to do was circle back and talk about those so it's types of mimicry. If somebody did want to look it up, where would they go? I mean, is it like biomimicry.com or something <laughs> like that? Actually, it is. It's it's as simple as that. What? Yeah. <laughs> but but instead of uh, biomimicry.com, it's biomimicry.org. Really? And it's a very extensive, yeah. amazing website because it, not only does it include examples of biomimicry, uh, it also includes amazing mm. um information about plants so that you can apply it by yourself like for example like Mm -hmm. this this bird has this ability and like it talks about it in depth and then you might think to yourself okay i can use this interesting another source is asknature.org i think by the same uh Mm. founders of uh, Mm biomimicry.org again it's the same concept more information it's a great tool to use there's there's a couple of examples where i've seen um i I'm a veterinarian, so I have a lot of study in sort of locomotion of animals. And typically, a lot of robotic walkers will use a leg design that comes from animals, whether it's a bipedal, a two-legged animal, they'll design against birds that walk because they have the multiple suspension systems. They It's typically harder to deal with um, building mm. Um, locomotion systems or legs like humans have because we have a better and stronger sense of gravity uh, and balance 
Uh, but the birds have a natural springing action. And then obviously the quadrupeds. But one of my favorite examples, and I literally had this conversation yesterday mm-hmm. where I was talking to um, a founder for a tech company who was talking about ants and how they farm plants or fungi. And that, that was a good example for biomimicry for how we as civilization should think about farming and managing our farming system. So the whole process, the ecosystem level, because he said the only insect species to have survived the ice age were the ants because they could farm in their own communities. And that just blew my mind. And I was getting excited to share it today. Yeah, yeah. What I saw online from this is uh, a lot of researchers are creating uh, robots with the shape of ants. I think also what they're trying to get at is uh, mimicking how at an ecosystem level they behave with one another mm-hmm. maybe this will add to their intelligence there's there's the example of swarm uh, behavior instead of when you have lots of multiple robots mm. all behaving in a certain way and they biomimic swarm behavior uh, in insects and it's uh, i've read that it's helped insects move through debris and earthquake situations and once this swarm moves in the swarm behavior through all these crevices they find and can trigger warnings where either things are not stable or they found victims in the in the rubble but i mean we've talked about all of these examples again but i wonder when you talk about biomimicry being sustainable how are how are we looking at biomimicry as sustainable So um, to answer your question, I'm going to say it in a form of quote by Janine Benyus. Mm-hmm. And she put it clearly. Mm-hmm. When we look at what is truly sustainable, the only real model that has worked over long periods of the time is the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that because the natural environment has continued to exist uh, past us, with us. And I think another thing that's very typical of the natural world is it's not favorable to waste anything. So it will become very efficient. And there's a really interesting anatomical example of this, that in the cheeks of rabbits, there is a spot in the mandible, in the jaw, that is almost see-through as a bone, because that is the point where there is neutral tension. So when a rabbit is chewing on grass or whatever, carrot, that point actually never has any force So the bone starts to grow away or starts to thin because it's not valuable to have heavy bones if you're supposed to be a light rabbit and move around. And this is, mm-hmm. you see so many examples of this in nature where efficiency and a, and a removal of waste material or there is no waste in the natural world. And I think biomimicry does really d- develop that. Um, Donna, how do you think maybe we could encourage more companies to introduce or think about biomimicry? I mean, the main incentive um, that I see for people to get into biomimicry is that they are able to create their own product, um, patent the uh, creation or uh, solution that they have found. Economically, they can gain money, mm-hmm. maybe build a company that produces this solution. That's, that's the main reason why I started actually talking about biomimicry because everyone can actually relate it to their daily lives, uh, use it. And that's what I'm hoping people will venture out to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think with that, 
trying to make it part of our daily lives. And like you said, to get out in nature, we want more exposure to it. And I like that because ultimately what we're trying to do is trying to bring people closer to nature so that they can experience more of these biomimicry solutions and connect the dots. You know, what's interesting to me uh, regarding this idea is we can see it already, you know, or some parts of it in our uh, daily lives here in the UAE. Because of how hot it is, a lot of companies try to uh, reduce their their energy consumption when it comes to AC or different electricity consumption and so on. And there there's a, a solution in Abu Dhabi in Mazar City, for instance, where they built the building in the shape that allows for the wind to pass through and cool down the buildings. Mm. To me, that's sort of mimicking nature to improve the efficiency of buildings. And I guess this is the incentive for companies, let's be honest, you know, uh, they want to reduce their energy consumption, reduce cost, also for 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 our energy uh, problems coming into the future um, when we will build a lot of more, more buildings and so on. With sustainability in mind, we want to exactly. reduce the consumption of these buildings and houses, yeah. With biomimicry, innovation can actually thrive. So if you're looking for any ideas, just open a nature book or step out into nature. And uh, there's a note that I wanted to make. Even if you see a biomimicry example, don't think it's been done. I can't uh, do more with it. Uh, For example, uh, the kingfisher bird that I spoke about, you can create another solution that fits to another problem. It's not just like, okay, Someone found something I, I can't uh, do with it, anything. No, actually, you can expand with it depending on the problem, depending on the solution you can create with it. A lot of what we've been talking about actually reminds me of a conversation I had with my son, Sultan, where I was describing what insects do, specifically mosquitoes, because Everybody was complaining about mosquito bites. And it dawns on me as being a veterinarian that all the needles I had been using in practice were all actually sort of established as examples. And if you study the proboscis of a mosquito, that's literally the shape, the the sort of slant you have and the hollow tube of a needle is based off of the proboscis of a mosquito. And that's how, I mean, they, they, they pierce you and you don't know, you don't feel it. They suck blood and you're, and that's how, you know, when you're asleep, you don't wake up and you're going, ow, that hurts. And there's a, there's a really sort of simple example of there's a physical object. They naturally draw blood. So let's take that and make that the way we deliver medicines into our bloodstream. Uh, and something I've, I've realized I've been using every day as a clinician and it's literally because of biomimicry. And and there was one more thing when you mentioned the shark skin, because I thought you were going to talk about the ability for shark's skin to actually reduce vortices or vortex at the, the skin level when you swim. And me and Abdurrahman were talking about that before where, I don't know if it was Michael Phelps, but I remember there was this whole conversation at the Olympic swimming competition about, is that a disadvantage? You know, is that illegal? to be using in competition. But I do know that there are swimmers um, that use those to be able to swim and glide through the water a lot more. Do you have any other sort of favorite uh, examples for biomimicry? Something that either blew your mind or something that you've always been uh, like super excited to talk about? 
I want you to imagine with me, which kind of industry would most likely benefit from creating a pattern that doesn't have uh, microbes or bacteria uh, grow on it? Like, which industry would be <laughs> really thrilled to have this technology? The medical industry? Exactly. Like, imagine a non-invasive way, instead of using yeah. uh, chemicals and especially with uh, antibiotic resistance, mm-hmm. Um, no, I just want to be clear. Antibiotic resistance, as a veterinarian, I deal with all the time, and it's very important. And you're right. To be able to have a way to manage bacterial load without using more chemicals that then the bacteria get resistant to, it's a good point. Yeah, you can create bacteria repellent medical tools and other surfaces used in the healthcare can be like bacteria repellent. Just think about all of the all of the the liquids and the detergents and the bleaches that that these the hospitals have to buy all the time. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's great and I think, you know, there are plenty of other examples uh, that goes back to biomimicry which is the camouflage, I don't know if we mentioned that or the velcro, how how that was created by uh, you know, I think it was a doctor that uh, looked into a microscope and saw how a either a you know, specific uh, plant or something yeah. and how it latches to his dog. And so all of those are are, are brilliant. And I, I wonder for those of us who would like to do more, just, just to understand more about biomimicry, what more can we do? What do you suggest? There's an example of the burdock plant. It inspired the Velcro, which I think most of us know what it is. So how did it come about? The man was walking or hiking with his dog, and as he was hiking up, he was nearby like a shrub of uh, burdock, and he noticed how the burr, which is like the top part of this plant, is attaching easily to his clothing or to his dog. And then he sold his idea to the company now known as uh, Velcro. So the main point I want you to gather from this is the idea of biomimicry can literally stem from anywhere. You don't have to overthink it. Just I want you to keep it in your mind. Just keep thinking about it, even if it's not really in the front and center of your mind. Because if you're out, for example, uh, in a picnic or uh, cycling uh, in your neighborhood, you might notice something. Then you might notice, okay, it fits to this problem. I can emulate this. I can do this. Yeah, there's there's something, this sort of theme that keeps coming up as we talk about biomimicry for me. When we are in nature, there is a habit maybe to just keep walking, right? And to just say like, oh, everything's there. But I've, when you do it enough times, you start to sort of stop and ponder like, how does that work? Or what's happening there? And to sort of question. And that's where you will find examples of biomimicry. Then how you apply it to a solution is obviously exactly up to your... Ask questions. Yeah, ask the questions. The how, the why, when, why is this happening? There you go. Then hopefully it will lead you to some answers that mm-hmm. you can use. Absolutely. Well, Donna, thank you so much for being such a cool guest here on Naturally Educated. Um, we'd love to have more examples of biomimicry. I think what we can do is take away a lot of interesting lessons from here. So biomimicry is everywhere we look, and it's not a hard concept to understand. Um, ultimately, we we really hope that everybody's taken away some really good examples of this. And thank you, Donna, again, for being on the show. 
Yeah, I would like to thank you all for this nice experience. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for having me. So thank you so much, Donna Abban. She's a biomimicry enthusiast and she's environmental ambassador at the Environment Agency, as well as a Green Youth Medjus member with Emirates Nature WWF. Yes, thank you, Donna. And thank you guys for listening. Please get in touch with us, reach out with your comments, uh, or even share a story with us. Uh, Tell us what you think about the podcast and so on. Uh, You'll find us uh, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all under Environment Abu Dhabi. You can also find more on our website, on our YouTube, Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. And listen, guys, please make sure you give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find and listen to your podcasts. So that was it for episode seven. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you so much, Abdurrahman. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. See you guys.